the Bankster Podcast. I'm your host, Alexander Badgett, and every episode here on the Bankster Podcast, we dive into what I call the central verse. It's the incredibly fascinating and ever more consequential world of central banking. This is episode 23, The Rules, Part 1. I'm quite excited about today's episode. Uh, We're going to talk about arguably the most important role and definitely the most visible role of the Federal Reserve and most central banks around the world. We'll also scratch the surface of one of the most striking debates in the modern central verse. The topic, setting monetary policy. This discussion could go on for days. Dissertations could and have been written on the topic, and literally entire careers have been spent studying it. But here at the Bankster Podcast, our goal is to give you a healthy, solid foundation of monetary policy and the men and women that make it. And today's episode, it's no exception. By the end of the episode, you will have all you need for a great start on the topic of setting monetary policy. Instead of the traditional news, history sections, we'll split the episode into two sections. Two questions, actually. Number one, how is monetary policy currently decided? And question number two, what is a policy rule? But before we dive in, let me just give you a brief overview of why I decided on this topic for today's episode. Two weeks ago, Janet Yellen took a trip back to her old stomping grounds. As some of you may know or remember, before joining the Board of Governors as vice chair in 2010, she was known as President Yellen, president of the San Francisco Fed, that is, in that position from 2004 to 2010. She also spent time as a professor at the University of California at Berkeley. So while enjoying a return to familiar land, Chair Yellen gave two speeches, both were good speeches, and I recommend the hardcore Fed watchers check them out. Uh, But the second speech specifically was what caught my attention. At this speech, given at the Stanford Institute for Economic Policy Research, her focus was how the actual monetary policy actions taken over the last few years differ from policy actions that a set of different rules would have recommended. John Taylor, uh, more to come on him in the next episode... Uh, Well, he was in the audience, and he asked a great question that sparked an intriguing back and forth about monetary policy rules. As I was listening to the exchange, I realized that in order to understand the current central verse, you need to understand the idea and a few key people behind monetary policy rules. Today, we will start that discussion. For starters, the idea of implementing a monetary policy rule implies that currently there is no rule. And that is sort of true. The dictionary defines a rule as, quote, one of a set of explicit or understood regulations or principles governing conduct within a particular activity or sphere. There has been no law passed by the House and the Senate and signed by the president that forces the Federal Reserve to set interest rates based on a rule. So, It begs the question, how does the policy actually get made? Who's making these decisions? Okay, well, that last question, hopefully if you're a loyal listener to the Bankster podcast, you'll be able to answer that easy peasy. The Federal Open Market Committee, the FOMC, is the group that decides what the monetary policy will be for the country. We've gone over in detail the structure and the voting system of the FOMC in previous episodes. In fact, I dedicated two early episodes completely to this group. So 
head back to episodes three and five to check them out. Uh, But for today's episode's purpose, we are going to focus on the actual decision-making process of this committee. The 19 members, with the usual disclaimer that uh, 19 is only when the Board of Governors is fully staffed, which it currently is not. There are currently five governors. Uh, President Trump could at any time nominate the two, which I expect he will once the Uh, His cabinet is full. Anyways, so all of these 19 members each attend all of the meetings of the FOMC. At these meetings, 12 of the members get to vote. In preparation for the meeting, all of the members have been briefed about the current economic conditions of the national and international markets and economies. They also have access to government statistics and business surveys. The Board of Governors employs over 300 economists. Each reserve bank also has a few dozen more economists. These economists are studying the economy and they're trying to model it as best they can. So the members of the FOMC have access to a lot of information and they're surrounded by a very well-educated and highly diverse group of people. These members also have their own sets of opinions and contacts that they are reviewing. But when Judgment Day comes, about every six weeks for the Federal Reserve, and the FOMC members meet in the grand conference room of the Eccles building on Constitution Avenue, the monetary policy is set by a simple vote. Each of the voting members can vote however they like. They do not have to explain their vote, although they often do in speeches and at conferences, uh, but they are not required to explain it at all. And on an even deeper level, the voting members are not even required to describe what process they went through in describing their research. Each voting member is free to vote to increase interest rates or lower them as they see fit, period. So that's how monetary policy is currently decided. A lot of people spend their days studying and analyzing the economy. They share that information with 19 people. 12 of those people then get to vote however they would like, raise interest rates, lower them, or leave them be. So as you've been listening, I'm sure you might have had a few questions. Among them, you may be wondering, why does it work like this? Well, the simple answer is that the government wanted the monetary policy decisions to be made without restraint or hindrance. Bureaucracies are infamously slow. Politicians crafting the Federal Reserve Act and its subsequent amendments wanted the country's central bank to be able to respond quickly and precisely to the swings in the economy. In 1935, they defined this by the creation of the voting standards of the FOMC we have today. I began this section of the podcast by sharing the definition of rule. The definition mentions explicit or understood regulations or principles governing conduct. We've now established that there are neither explicit nor understood rules governing how the FOMC members vote on interest rates, which is the monetary policy. Uh, But this sparks the question, what's the alternative? Is there another way to make monetary policy decisions? What might an explicit monetary policy rule look like? Well, let's dive into our next section to answer these very questions. Making one of the original references to a modern monetary policy rule, Milton Friedman said, quote, The conclusion I have reached on the basis of both the past and recent records is that money is too important to be left to central bankers. 
close quote. Friedman, the famous professor from the University of Chicago, a Nobel laureate, and one of the most influential economists of all time, made that claim back in 1959 at a university lecture series. Friedman continued, quote, I come to the conclusion that there is only one other alternative. That is to adopt some kind of rule which will guide our monetary managers, the Federal Reserve System, close quote. This speech and Friedman's subsequent book sparked the idea of the modern monetary policy rule. The debate has continued ever since. Now, you may be saying to yourself, but Alexander, we have yet to define what a monetary policy rule even is, and you'd be correct. I'm actually going to let Professor Friedman tell you about his rule, then we'll break it down on a more general level. Quote, I am led to suggest as a rule the simple rule of a steady rate of growth in the stock of money. Okay, listeners, stock of money simply means the supply of money, or in other words, the amount of money in the economy. Okay, back to Friedman. Quote, that the Federal Reserve System must be instructed to keep the stock of money growing at a fixed rate. One-third of 1% per month, or one-twelfth of 1% per week, or such and such a percentage per day. We instruct the Federal Reserve that day after day and week after week, it has one thing and one thing only to do, and that is to keep the stock of money moving at a steady, predictable, defined rate in time. Close quote. Now, I don't know about you, but that is about as explicit as it gets. Under Friedman's rule, the Federal Reserve would decide monetary policy by simply increasing the amount of money in the economy by a, as he put it, steady, predictable, defined rate. And that's the purpose of a monetary policy rule. In its simplest form, a rule takes away the human side of the decision-making process. No longer would the 19 members of the FOMC have to gather together to decide what the federal funds rate should be. Instead, they would simply change the supply of money in the economy by the predetermined amount set by the rule. Interest rates would float with the movements of the markets. Now let's take a step back from Friedman's rule. Uh, Just because dozens upon dozens of monetary policy rules have been used and proposed throughout the history of the Centralverse. On this episode, I'll introduce you to two other famous rules, or genres of rules. For centuries, the favorite rule involved gold. Empires rose and fell with the level of their stock of gold. The government and banks created money based on how much gold they had on reserve. The money, often in paper notes, could be taken to a bank and exchanged for gold, based on some rate, say, 50 English pounds for an ounce of gold, or 100 English pounds for two ounces of gold. And although you might think of the word stable when you hear the word rule, Uh, the level of gold was anything but stable. The amount of gold that was held by the empire would sometimes rise dramatically if new sources of gold were found, whether from wars or plunders, and then also from new mine deposits. But then there would be seasons where the money could not be expanded because no new gold was introduced to the economy. In some future episode, we'll talk more about the gold standard, but for now, I think you understand the basics. And going forward, when you hear people talking about the gold standard or a return to the gold standard, you'll know that they, whether they know it or not, are referencing an old and volatile monetary policy rule. 
One final type of rule that I'll mention today takes the idea behind the gold standard rule and takes it just one step further. I am referring to monetary rules based on mathematical formulas. You can imagine that the gold standard was a very simple formula, like I mentioned before. 50 pounds equaled one ounce of gold. And you could do any multiple of that. A very simple conversion. And although the gold standard proved ineffective and counterproductive for the economy, many economists began to wonder if the problem with the gold standard wasn't that it was a simple formula, but that it wasn't using the right inputs. And that's where we get to the monetary policy by mathematical formula rule. And like I said, there are dozens of these formulas, the most famous of which is called the Taylor rule. Okay, now I'm sure many of you may hear mathematical formula and cringe, but stick with me. This is not complex. Uh, I'm going to explain a quick principle of a mathematical formula, and then I'll talk it through. A formula has two sides, separated by an equal sign. On one side, you have your inputs. The other side contains the output. You can imagine it's like following a recipe. All of your ingredients are on one side, arranged in a certain way, and on the other side is the result. For baking, that result might be a cake. For monetary policy rules, the ingredients are economic indicators, or statistics about the economy. Those are the inputs. Then on the other side of the equation is the result. And in this case, the result is the desired monetary policy action. So, let's take Taylor's rule as an example. The inputs for the Taylor rule include current inflation, desired inflation, current GDP, and potential GDP. On the other side of the equation, the output, or the result, is the rate at which the central bank should set the interest rate. Can you feel the spirit of what Friedman was talking about, whether you understood and followed along with me with the formula or not? See, Federal Reserve leaders under this rule, well, they would still have to use their judgment. They'd have to decide what they believe the desired inflation rate is and what the potential GDP of the country is. But those would be the only two decisions. After that, they'd drop the numbers into the formula, the inputs, and out would pot the monetary policy decision. Okay, well, you know what? The original plan for this podcast, well, it was actually to now jump into the man behind the Taylor rule. Uh, But I have already shared a good amount of information and I have too much left to cover for this one episode. So I'm going to leave it here for today. We learned how monetary policy decisions are made We learned what monetary policy rules are, and we even discussed a few of the most famous rules. On the next episode, I will introduce you to John Taylor. I will also introduce you to a bill that has been passed by the House of Representatives, but never by the Senate, so it isn't a law. But it might get some new light with the Republicans in charge of the Senate, the House, and the White House. So it's a very interesting bill that is all about monetary policy rules. I'm excited to share it with you. And it's going to be debated over the next couple of months. I can almost guarantee it. So uh, next episode, don't miss it. So that's a quick preview of what to expect coming your way in two weeks. As always, feel free to drop me a line with comments and questions about the Central Verse or the Bankster Podcast via email, alexander at thebanksterpodcast.com or Twitter or Facebook. If you go to my website, www.thebanksterpodcast.com, and scroll to the bottom of the homepage, you can sign up to receive the show notes to today's podcast and every future podcast directly in your inbox. 
join the growing group of Centralverse followers. Thanks to all of you who have submitted reviews on your podcast apps. For those of you who haven't written a review, it really does help, and it only takes a few minutes to do so. I hope you'll take a moment to write a review. Today's episode was written, edited, and produced by me, Alexander Badgett. I dedicate this episode to the late Milton Friedman. You changed the central verse forever. To the rest of you, thanks for listening. I'm Alexander Badgett, and I'll see you next time on The Bankster Podcast. <laughs>